God, we thank you that you have not left us to figure out who you are, to figure out what we're supposed to do, but that you have shown us who you are, most especially and most perfectly in your son, Jesus, so that we can say that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father, we've seen God, we know who you are and what you're like. We know that you love us so much that you sent your son for us. And so today as we dive into these words of Jesus, we just pray that you will help us to know you better, to understand ourselves better, to know what you've done for us and to once more but in a new and fresh way, put our hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was wonderful this morning to be reminded of the fact that nobody is so great in the kingdom of heaven that they can't learn something from the faith of a little child. And so that was a, that was a beautiful thing to share in this morning. Now, a passage for anybody who wants to follow along today is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. And Jesus is speaking here to his disciples uh, in the mountain, mountainous region around Galilee. And continuing on in his sermon, he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you... If your son asks you for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. As we've been working through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he's called us to reflect on our hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He's asked us to reflect on what is the good life, what is the happiness we desire. Does it match what Jesus holds out? Does it match that life that he described that first week in the Beatitudes of what it means to be blessed, what it means to be happy? Do we want to follow the letter of the law or do we want to follow the heart of the law, that is love? Do we desire to please God 
with our acts of devotion and of worship? Or do we desire to bless others? What is the heart that we do these things with? Do we desire treasures on earth or treasures in heaven? And do we fix our eyes on the worldly troubles? Or do we fix our eyes on our good God who we can trust? Now, in everything that we've seen over these last few weeks, this life that Jesus calls us to is a beautiful life, a life where we turn the other cheek, a life where we love others, do unto others as we would have others do unto us, where we love our enemies, where we put our trust in God, where we do not worry, where we not only don't do the acts of sin, but that we keep our hearts from sin. The life Jesus calls us to is a beautiful life. The life Jesus calls us to in this sermon is a hard life. Love your enemies. That doesn't come easily. Joy in persecution. To have a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees. And if I'm honest with you, there's plenty of things in this sermon that I've, that as I've been preaching through it, I've seen, well, I don't do that perfectly. I don't live up to this standard. And unless you're a pretty extraordinary person, I think you've probably felt the same way at points throughout these things Jesus has said. Which brings us to what Jesus is talking about in this last passage. I think this is why Jesus closes off his sermon in the way that he does. Well, I shouldn't say closes off. There's, there's more to come next week. But this is sort of the end of the ethical elements, which he, he wraps up at the end with that wonderful golden rule that we do to others as we would have others do to us. And so as his sermon is drawing to a close, he finishes this ethical teaching with these three illustrations and you might have noticed that they kind of just went straight from one into the other without any connecting theme, without any discussion of why he's using this new picture, this new metaphor. And so we're going to look at each of them on their own this morning, but we're also going to think about why are these together? What do these three parables or, or pictures tell us when they're brought together as they are here in Matthew's Gospel? As I've been reflecting on this passage this week, what brings them together is humility. What governs our rela this relationship with others, where this, this non-judgmental attitude with others? It's humility and recognising our own sin and our own need. What, calls us, what, what brings us to call on God in our need? Humility and realising that we can't do it all on our own, that we need God's provision. When we recognise our need before God, it changes our relationship with Him and with others. This is what happens when we can sing, as we will at the end, along with the great old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Jesus calls us here to see ourselves realistically. He's taken all the pictures that we've put up on, on Instagram and he's pulled all the filters off and he said, this is you. This is how we can see ourselves, to understand ourselves, to 
to know who we are, to know our need, so that we can know how we are loved. And so Jesus begins with this first illustration, do not judge, or you'll be judged by the same measure that you use. And in a way, this is really the flip side of what Jesus has already said about how God forgives those who forgive others. But those who withhold forgiveness, forgiveness is withheld from them. Now, there's a lot of people, I don't know that you, you might have come across some of them, that think the passage ends here, judge not, full stop, that's the, rest, that's the end of the story. And it's worth thinking about as we go through this, is that what it means? How do we reconcile this command, judge not, for by the same standard you will be judged, with the fact that the Bible tells us several times where, where people should rebuke others and challenge the wrong behaviour of others. Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And he says to the Corinthians, it's reported among you there's a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, with his stepmother. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, can this guy in Corinth turn around and say to Paul, hey, Paul, judge not. Is that what Jesus is telling us here? And even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 18 says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Hey, Jesus, judge not. What does it mean to judge? The word that's used here of judgment of judging one another, the word is crino, has, has very much the same range of meanings that our word to judge can have. Now, to judge can just mean to be discerning. You make a judgment that something is good or something is bad. But to judge can also mean that you are a judge and you're sentencing somebody to prison. Judge, to judge can have the sense of to condemn. I judge someone, I've condemned them. I've said that you know, they must be punished. And in this passage, I think it's clear because of these other places that we see throughout Scripture and even as we'll get into the, the dogs and the pigs parable that Jesus told, Jesus doesn't call us not to be discerning. Jesus doesn't call us not to call sin, sin. But we recognise that before God, when it comes to salvation, 
There is only one judge, and he is Jesus. And we don't have his job, and we can't take his place. Jesus tells us not to judge in big part because of this problem of hypocrisy. And this comes out in the image that he uses of the guy in the workshop who's got a speck of sawdust in his eyes. And his, his mate says to him, look, let me get that out for you. And he's got a whopping great two-by-four sticking out of his own eye. And he can't see. His, his, his depth perception is going to be seriously in trouble. That's not the sort of person that you trust to take the speck out of your own eye. And I know I, there's, there's a huge amount of truth to this. I remember discovering uh, in my time at ES, in the, in the um, Christian group at uni, that those people who like to sort of dominate the discussion in the, in the Bible study groups, who I found really annoying, really annoyed me because they were a lot like me. And I wanted to be the one dominating the discussion. And when I realised that, that was a very humbling fact. Sometimes our own worst traits are the things that we're the least tolerant of in others. Jesus recognised that and he calls us to recognise that of ourselves. Jesus calls us to humility, to recognising our own sin and recognising our need of God. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. When we recognise our sin, when we recognise our need, it is impossible for us to be self-righteous. And when we recognise our sin and humility turn to God, then it is possible by grace for us to begin to clear our eyes begin to clear the things that block our vision and then having done that we can come alongside others and help them in love you hypocrite Jesus says first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye and as we've looked at this as from the perspective Jesus has called us to of recognizing our sin It's a person who's taken the plank out of their own eye, who can come alongside somebody, not to say, hey, you've got a problem, let me fix that for you, but to come alongside gently as somebody who's wrestled with their own sin and say, can I help? There's no self-righteousness when we realise our need. Judge not calls us to examine our hearts with humility. As I noted before, it doesn't call us to approve of sin, but it calls us to look out for all sin, not just the ones that I don't do. But Jesus does, of course, call us to be discerning and to make some level of judgment as as we see in this curious illustration in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And then Jesus moves on without any explanation of what he's talking about there. We need discernment. Clearly, Jesus is talking about people here. 
from people who he's saying, these, these are the dogs, these are the pigs, these are the people that you should not throw sacred things before. These are the ones that you should not cast your pearls before. Now, these, these dogs and pigs were used by some teachers as pictures of the Gentiles, some, some Jewish teachers of Jesus' time. But Jesus wasn't so big on the, you know, the Jews are all the good guys and the Gentiles are all the bad guys, but he challenged everyone who rejected his message, who rejected him. When he sent his disciples out to spread the gospel to people, he said, you know, go spread the gospel and if they reject you, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. Don't keep trying to bring the gospel to those who have already rejected it. Now, that's, that's in the case of people who we don't have relationship with. I don't expect all of us to just write off our family because we told them the gospel once and they didn't believe. That's, that's not what I think Jesus is telling us. But he gives this illustration of throwing pearls before pigs. And a pearl is a very valuable thing. But the pig is just looking for something to eat. And as soon as, he realized, as, soon as they try to eat the pearl and they can't eat it, they're not going to realise how valuable it is. They just know that it's not what they want. And so they turn on the one who threw it. And a lot of people take that to be about that sharing of the gospel, that if we share the gospel and people reject it, that you don't just keep labouring where it might be, uh, where it's causing this animosity and this hatred. But in its context, I think there might be a further sense to it where Jesus is talking about this, taking the speck out of other people's eyes about helping people to be free of their sins. He's saying, don't try and take the speck away from those who don't believe. Don't try and pull them out of their sin without bringing them to Jesus first, because it's not going to happen. Somebody who's been forgiven, somebody who's put their trust in Jesus, might recognise the value of the pearl that is, you know, having the speck removed from their eye. But to somebody who hasn't realised their need before God, that will just be offensive and they'll turn on you. It's not an easy passage that Jesus is, uh, an easy parable that he's given us here. But it's clear that he calls us to be discerning. That he calls us to recognise the state of people's hearts. And when we bring all of this together, Jesus calls us to be humble recognising our own need, recognising the plank in our own eyes, not judging and seeking to bring punishment on those who have wronged us, helping others in their need, but being discerning and recognising where that help will be resented. And then Jesus launches into this Next part of his parable, or the next part of his, his sermon, I should say. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, uh, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Humility before God, recognising our wretchedness, makes it impossible to be self-righteous, as we saw in that first example that Jesus told us, to sit there in judgment of others with a great big stick coming out of our eyes. 
Recognizing our need before God also makes it impossible to be self-dependent. It makes it impossible for us to think that we can do it all on our own. Ask, seek and knock. Before we can ask God, before we can seek him, we need to recognize our need of him. We need to recognize that we've made a mess of things our own way. That our only hope is God and what he can give us in his grace. When we come to our God in our need, he is good and he gives good gifts to us. And Jesus gives this wonderful illustration. He says, which of you, if your son came asking you for a loaf of bread, you'd give, would you give him a stone? Which of you, if they came and asked you for some fish, would you give him a snake? And Jesus says, even though you are evil, Jesus really didn't pull his punch on that one. Even though we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And remember back in chapter 5, at the start of this sermon, it told us, he went, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, the disciples is, can be a larger group than just the 12. He, Jesus did have a, a larger group following him. But this is his disciples that he's talking to when he says, you who are evil. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Jesus makes this argument that even human fathers who get things wrong all the time, or maybe that's just me, even human fathers who are far from perfect, who are sinful and too often selfish and more worried about my own needs than my kids' needs, even human fathers know how to give their children good things. Even human fathers know better than to you know, give their kid a snake when they wanted a fish. And his point is God is so much better. God the Father is so much better father than any of us fathers here on earth. Whether you loved your father, or whether you had a difficult relationship with your father, We have the promise from Jesus that our Father is a perfect Father. How much more can we trust Him not to play mean tricks on us when we come and we ask and we seek things from Him? How much more can we rely on Him to give good gifts when we seek Him? Now, Jesus does fall a little bit short of promising God will give us everything we ask for. He doesn't say, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give us everything that we want? But he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
The Father in heaven is good, much more than we deserve. Now, I truly believe that the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has given is designed not just to demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like and the way that we are to live, but also to show us our need and how far we fall short. And so from chapter 6 through to where at the end of chapter 7, where Jesus wraps up everything that he's been saying with this law, this golden rule to do unto others, he's been summarising what it means to actually live a life that glorifies God. And it's one that we might be able to keep parts of it a lot of the time. We might be able to keep all of it for some of the time. But all of us fall short of this love that he's called us to. But the Father in heaven is good. When we ask him, he answers. When we seek him, we will find him. When we knock, he opens the door. When we come to him and say, God, I can't live up to all of this that Jesus has said. We can ask him, help me by your spirit to become more and more this person that Jesus calls me to be. When we ask that Jesus has told us we need a righteousness that's greater than that of the Pharisees, when we ask God for that righteousness, he gives us the righteousness of Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange Jesus made for us on that cross. We have a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees. Not because I'm so good, but because Jesus was. And he's given me his righteousness. When we seek him in faith, we find him. Jesus calls us to treat others as we want to be treated. And that requires a love greater than any of us can achieve on our own. But when we ask him, he gives us his spirit to grow his, the fruit of the spirit in us, to grow love in us, that in us people might see the love of Jesus. It's not that hard to follow the silver rule. Lots of faiths have the silver rule, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It's much harder to do unto others as you would have others do unto you. There's a lot more involved when it's phrased positively. You can keep the silver rule by just not doing anything to anyone ever. But to keep the golden rule, to do unto others... That takes love. That takes great love. So today, as Jesus has called us to do in this parable of this picture of the man with the plank in his eye, as we've seen the humility that we need in our interactions with others and the humility that we need before God, that we come to him like a child to ask for good things from our Father, Today, let's see ourselves as we are. 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. To see our need, to see that we do fall short of being like Jesus, of being who, who we would be if we were perfect. We fall far short of that. Let's see ourselves as we are, not to make ourselves miserable. Gee, I'm hopeless. Not to make ourselves fearful. What could God want with someone as hopeless as me? Not to make ourselves bitter. Who could even keep all of this anyway? But when we allow ourselves to see ourselves how we are, then we can see his grace to us. We can see how much we have been forgiven. And we can rejoice in the love that God has lavished upon us that we could never deserve. When God has loved and forgiven us much, we can love and forgive others much. We can live humbly with confidence in God that we are his and he is ours. But with that confidence being precisely that, in God and not in our own strength. To see God's grace to us and to live that grace towards others and to learn to depend on him who hears us and who is good to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good father that you are a perfect Father who gives good gifts. We thank you that you have called us to be your children. For all of those who believed in the name of Jesus, you gave the right to be called the children of God. And so we come to you, our Father, and we ask that you will do your work in us. We ask that you will help us in your strength to love others as you have loved us. We pray that you will help us in our struggles to remove the planks from our eyes. And we pray that having had that need in our own lives that we might be able to humbly and gently help others. And we pray that we would never fall into a place where we think, gee, God is so lucky to have me. But that we might always in love be reminded of our need of you, that we continue to ask, continue to seek, continue to knock at your door, knowing that you give good gifts. You give us the ability to be made new, you, you give us your spirit that we might day by day grow more like Jesus. Thank you for all of your good gifts. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.